Welcome to episode 14 of the Search with Canada podcast, recorded very late on Monday the 17th of June 2019. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and I'm flying solo today. I'll be talking about the Google Core algorithm update and some of the latest advice from Google on this. Also a thought piece on should we actually be doing exactly what Google tell us all of the time? And we've also been asking you to submit your own questions to the podcast. So I've got a couple of your questions that I'm going to answer about SEO. Hopefully a great episode for you. The weeks are rolling on now since Google released their June core algorithm update. There's still no hope in sight, sadly, it seems, for the Daily Mail. So it was confirmed it was their director of SEO that posted on the Google Help forums looking for some kind of feedback as to why they had lost 50% of their organic search traffic overnight and 90% of their discovery traffic. I've been having a read through the feedback other experts and webmasters had been given the Daily Mail or have been giving to the Daily Mail and to be honest it it's not great advice a lot of it there's some really odd stuff suggesting um, that the Daily Mail site isn't mobile friendly or they haven't included some information in their schema about organization all really specific pieces of advice which I think it's a hard stretch to say it's a very small thing like that that's caused a 50% drop in traffic in 24 hours. And it does actually go against what Google have been telling us and the definition of a broad core algorithm update, which is they keep repeating and repeating this line that it's very unlikely there's going to be any one single thing you can just fix and pop back if you have had a loss in rankings they're saying that if this has happened to you it may be just because you weren't meant to rank there before and other sites are now getting basically the credit that they deserve now if you watch the google webmaster hangouts you'll no doubt be aware of john Mueller, who is kind of probably the main conduit between webmasters and Google. He's very active on Twitter. He's at at JohnMU. So highly recommend you follow him if you're not already. Really, really nice, helpful chap who's helped a lot of people. And he also takes part in Webmaster Hangouts, which are basically video calls that normally last around an hour or so. And webmasters can shoot him questions and he'll do his best to give the answers he can or is slash allowed to. And he had, unsurprisingly, a question in the last Webmaster Hangout about the Google Core algorithm update, just asking if, as webmasters, we can have any kind of guidance on what we should be looking at, maybe what verticals are affected, and where can we go if we have lost traffic. And John gave an answer, again, explaining, look, a a broad core algorithm update is just that. It's broad. We're not 
looking at any one particular area necessarily such as you know, links or such as a certain technical fix the advice he did give though was quite interesting because he said we can't give any specific advice and then he gave some fairly specific advice so he said perhaps get people who are not associated with your website to look at it compare it to other websites ask them if they feel they can trust it and specifically he said things like does does the design look outdated what's the general feel of the site what's the overall picture of it so google's obviously measuring these kinds of uh, trust authority signals in many 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 different ways that why it's so difficult to translate them down into individual ranking factors and John's absolutely right it's an approach we take even when we're building sites which is that if you are running a company if you're currently running a website whether you like it or not you will be biased as to your view of that site and you know perhaps you don't think it's the best but a lot of the time you're not seeing it how your end users see it which is again what Google's algorithm is trying to look to do so we said to look at things like can we trust the site and does it look outdated and one thing I got quite excited about was John specifically mentioned does it does it use kind of stock photos or do they have their own imagery and it's a discussion I've had previously with other SEOs when we've been looking at just how good Google's image recognition is um, you know, you can upload a picture of a, an, an animal and it will tell you not only is it a dog, but it will say, OK, that's a that's a black Labrador specifically. And one of the, the interesting things that came up in conversation was as humans, it's quite easy for us to spot stock imagery. You know, the really kind of well lit, cheesy office photo where people are gathered around the computer pointing and have, you know, the cheesy smiles. We've all seen them. And. I was raising the point with them, it's it's probably possible for Google to identify what is or what is not a stock image, um, not just through how often the image appears across a different range of sites, but actually by how the image looks. And if, you, if you're selling a product or if you're explaining your service, I can't help but lean towards, I would bet that the website's probably better if they use their own photography rather than you know cheap kind of chop stock photography that's not quite on point so that was really interesting um john said that so getting someone else to have a look at your site can they trust it it does it just look up to date would you use that site against your competitors he also pointed us towards an older blog post by amit singar and I've linked to this in the show notes, which you can get at search.withcanda.co.uk. And this blog post from the Google Webmaster blog outlines 23 questions you should be asking about your website. And the blog post starts off saying, we aren't disclosing the actual ranking signals used in our algorithms because we don't want folks to game our search results. But if you want to step into Google's mindset, the questions below provide some guidance on how we've been looking at that issue. And I think it's worth just whizzing through these questions. So as you can listen to this, I would be thinking about your own websites or the websites you work on and what the answer to these questions might be. Uh, so the questions are, 
Would you trust the information presented in this article? Is the article written by an expert or enthusiast who knows the topic well, or is it more shallow in nature? Does the site have duplicate, overlapping or redundant articles on the same or similar topics with slightly different keyword variations? That's quite a common one, especially as sites get older and there maybe isn't a particular content plan people are following. So you get the same content written over and over again in different ways, cannibalizing itself. So rather than one good article, you have a dozen not so good ones. Would you be comfortable giving your credit card information to this site? And I think that's a really fascinating question because there's so many nuances to that, as John's pointed out, about things like even, even how professional your logo looks is going to make a decision on, is going to help people make their decision on whether they would trust your site enough to give them credit card information. So apart from the technical things like, is it a secure site? Is it on HTTPS? Does this article have spelling, stylistic or factual errors? Are the topics driven by genuine interest of readers of the site or does the site generate content by attempting to guess what might rank well in search engines? So I'm, I think this is going to be about when sites are maybe procedurally generating kind of questions, for instance, or if back in the day when you used to, to get the exact search term people used, sometimes they'd generate a page about that. Does the article provide original content or information, original reporting, original research or original analysis? That's a really interesting one. Again, are we just kind of taking other people's data and reshuffling what we've already heard? Or are you the actual source of that information, that analysis, that thought? Does the page provide substantial value when compared to other pages in search results? That's probably my favorite question on this whole list. When we talk to clients about SEO, when we talk to them about content strategy, I always ask clients what, what it is they would like to rank for. They'll give me a search term and then we'll have a look for which page on their site should rank for that search term. And I ask them, do you genuinely think that this page is the best page on the web for this search term? And if they're honest, the answer is no. And in reality, you're not normally in the top 10 or top 100. So having a look at if you deserve to actually rank there. How much quality control is done on the content? Does the article describe both sides of the story? Is the site a recognized authority on its topic? Is the content mass produced by or outsourced to a large number of creators or spread across a large network of sites so that individual pages or sites don't get as much attention or care? Was the article edited well, or does it appear sloppily or hastily produced? For a health-related query, would you trust the information on this site? So that's specifically dealing kind of with the uh, Your Money, Your Life websites, where if the information is not correct, it can cause actual harm. Would you recognize this site as an authoritative source when mentioned by name? So it's about entity recognition. Does this article provide a complete or comprehensive description of the topic? Does this article contain insightful analysis or interesting information that is beyond obvious? Is this sort of page one you'd bookmark, share with a friend or recommend? Does this article have an excessive amount of ads that distract you from or interfere with the main content? I know lots of sites that are guilty of that. 
Would you expect to see this article in a printed magazine, encyclopedia or book? Are the articles short, unsubstantial or otherwise lacking in helpful specifics? Are the pages produced with great care and attention to detail versus less attention to detail? And finally, would users complain when they see pages from this site? So that's quite a big list for you to go through. And I'd be surprised if anyone listening to this could hand on heart answer honestly, kind of, yes, we, we tick all of those boxes. The, the post ends off by saying, writing an algorithm to assess page or site quality is a much harder task, but we hope the questions above give some insight into how we try to write algorithms that distinguish higher quality sites from lower quality sites. John Mueller did say they will look at maybe doing an updated version of this in context to the latest update. But I think, again, it highlights the futility in 2019 of trying to chase individual ranking factors because to cover those questions, you know, there's hundreds of elements that are going to be related to each one of these these questions and how they interact together. And this was where it comes down to this long or, or short bet around... So the, the Daily Mail's had 50% of its traffic gone overnight. Other sites have gained, other sites have lost. There may have been a business case at some time to contravene some of these guidelines, such as uh, the ones that stick out are the one about adverts. You know, are there excessive kind of ads that distract you from the content? Yes, there are, but these are what pay the bills. This is what's driving revenue. This is how we're hiring people. This is how we're producing more content. Um, and look, we're ranking really well. So it's it's really easy to see how you can get caught in this trap of looking at the metrics of what's working for your business and just saying, well, okay, Google's telling us to do this and you're telling us to do this as an SEO, but actually we're ranking really well and we're making lots of money, so we're fine how we are, thank you very much. The point here is it's not always going to be that way. The only safe long-term strategy is to align yourself with Google. Um, and this may be what's happening with this Broadcore algorithm update, which is that people who have previously ranked well, because they haven't been doing a bad job, there's nothing awfully wrong, but they're not going with the spirit of these 23 questions. Google's now pushed a Broadcore algorithm update because they found with a combination of factors across the board, they can better match these questions. That's what's happened, which means there isn't necessarily going to be a quick fix for everyone. While we're talking about Google's advice, I thought it might be interesting just from an SEO point of view to ask the question, should we be doing what Google say all of the time? And what prompted this line of thought, which always does it always does cross my mind, um, you know, like many SEOs that have been doing uh, SEO for a long time. I've done black hat SEO, I've done white hat SEO, and you know, there is a realization that Google's rules are just Google's rules. At the end of the day, you don't have to follow them; they're not the law. You can do as you wish, but you have to be aware that if you don't follow Google's game plan, they also have the right to kick you into touch. And the thing that just got me thinking about this again recently was a case uh, from Genius, which is a song lyric website. So one of the uh, websites that hosts 
a large database of song lyrics. So you Google the song and then they'll provide you with the lyrics. And they've had a case going back and forth with Google for a few years now where they've been claiming that Google are just copying their lyrics straight out into the search results. Uh, ben Gross, who is Genius's chief strategic officer, said, over the last two years, we've shown Google irrefutable evidence again and again that they are displaying lyrics copied from Genius. And I had a little look at this story and it, it was really uh, quite clever what they did. So Genius are hosting these song lyrics and what they did was they used, they switched between the two different types of apostrophe in their song lyrics because this way they've they've got kind of a, a, a watermark, a footprint where they can tell if the lyrics that are appearing directly in Google have come from their site because they'll have this pattern of matching different types of apostrophe. And to take it one step further, Genius encoded this these different types of apostrophe. So if you convert them to dots and dashes, they actually read as red-handed. So in Morse code, they read as red-handed to prove that Google had actually taken this data directly from their site. And Genius said it can provide more than 100 examples of Google doing this. And I saw this thread on Twitter and actually another um, company that I, had, I wasn't aware of at the time jumped in on a thread called Celebrity Net Worth, which was founded by a chap named Brian Warner. And he explains he started this Celebrity Net Worth website after trying to Google how much some celebrities worth and realizing there wasn't actually a good source of information for that. So he did what any good person would do. He went and made a website about it and became one of the biggest databases of uh, celebrity net worth information on the web. And he hired people to do good research to make sure his data was solid. And his tweet says, in 2014, Google asked Celebrity Net Worth for free access to their API. So an API is an application programming interface. It's basically a programmatic way for Google to access your data. And Brian said that we declined to do that. We didn't want to give them direct access. However, it did appear that Google was or just started to after that take the information from their site anyway. So what Brian and his team did was he published 10 net worth pages for conjured up fake celebrities with fake names uh, that wouldn't appear anywhere else on the web. And he found by early to mid 2015 that all of their net worth information, including fictional pages that were scraped from their site were appearing in Google with no attribution. And there's a, a link to this story on theoutline.com again that I'll give in the show notes along with the Wall Street Journal uh, story about genius as well. So you can read more about that. And these just prompted my thoughts again on should we be just following Google's advice blindly? And I've embedded in the um, show notes again a really nice chart by a fantastic SEO called Lily Ray. So she published this on a tweet and it's a screenshot of 
the Google Search Console graph that shows total clicks and total impressions. And she says, the unintended consequence of adding FAQ schema. It looks so pretty in the SERP, dot, 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 but where did all our traffic go? And she's showed that essentially as soon as they added the FAQ schema and the FAQ uh, results came up, that impressions went up, meaning that um, her data is being seen more and more in Google. However, the total clicks have died off. And we're talking over the period um, of the graph she's published uh, almost 16,000 clicks. So it's a, it's a fair amount. Now, there are two sides to this story. So um, someone else has posted a really good example of compare the market on the search term car insurance, how they rank second and they have these FAQ boxes as well as their organic listing. So they're just, they're just adding to them. And what that's done is push their competitor further down the page. And there are great examples as well on having FAQ schema on conversion type pages. So the user has to click through anyway. But it did, it did raise this conversation again about Google's asking us to do all of these things, asking us to add schema in all situations so that they can push forward and they can give us uh, access to things like Google Home and give us the correct answers quickly. But we have to realize that everything Google is doing, they are doing for their own interest, for their own bottom line. And some of the replies to this thread were from other SEOs were like, well, you, of course, what do you think is going to happen if you follow Google's advice blindly? Um, why, why would you even bother hiring an SEO if that's all you're going to do? And it does raise a point that that is in some ways the job of an SEO, which is while they're aware of the best practice, it's knowing the very fine line on what you can do to, to hold on to your profit margins and when actually you will need to fall in line. Um, as I said earlier, I believe the only long-term strategy is to, if you want to do well in Google at least, is to fall in line with Google with their plan. But there are ways you can diverge from that as you go along and, and protect, as, as Lily's pointed out here, she's, she's going to be removing the FAQ schema in this instance on these pages because it's damaging their business. But there may come a point in the future where she wishes to re-add it. So I think it's a really interesting conversation to have with your marketing and SEO team. Time is flying on and we have some Q&A from our very lovely listeners. So I asked you if you had any questions about SEO to message them to me on LinkedIn or another easy way is we are at, we are at, at Kanda, which is C-A-N-D-O-U-R agency on Twitter. Feel free to message us, DM us with questions for the podcast and I will try and answer them for you. So I've got two questions I'm going to answer for you here. The first one is from Orion Mendez and she asks, does the IP address in brackets location, so geographic location there, affect search ranking? Hypothetically, a US-based website versus UK website, same everything else, which would perform better? So Orion's basically asking, does the geographic location of where your website is hosted affect its performance in or outside that country 
And that's a really interesting question, basically because I haven't had to think about it for quite a while. Um, we live in a world now where we have free services like Cloudflare um, and content distribution networks that allow us to, in many cases, for free, deliver our website from the nearest geographical place to our user. So it's quite rare now. Uh, well, I wouldn't say it's rare, but it's a lot less likely you're going to be after dealing with these kind of issues. And I put it out onto Twitter to ask some of my other SEO friends their opinion, and the, the poll came back really mixed, almost 50-50 as to yes, it does matter, or no, it doesn't matter. So I thought it was worth doing a little bit more research and seeing what the latest, most up-to-date information was. Now, many people will refer back to a very friendly Matt Cutts, who used to help us with SEO back in 2013 when he posted a YouTube video saying, in the ideal world, it would be great if you could have a separate country-specific IP address for each of your different top-level domains. So a UK server if you're on .co.uk, a German server if you're on the .de, etc., etc., um, and John, John Mueller later in the year uh, answered a similar question saying from a usability point of view having a really fast website is awesome and like others mentioned sometimes local hosting or local CDNs can help there so this is one issue uh, we I just want to ignore for now which is basically because that's a performance question so we know Google likes fast well-performing websites so we're going to we're going to run on the thinking that whether our website is hosted in the US or the UK for the hypothetical of this situation we're going to say that they perform the same so the speed is the same so that's not a discerning factor here and John goes on to say for search specifically for geotargeting the server's location plays a very small role in many cases it's irrelevant if you use a CC TLD or a GTLD with web, together with Webmaster Tools, then we'll mainly use the geotargeting from there, regardless of where your server is located. You definitely don't need to host your website in any specific geographic location. Use what works best for you and give us that information via the CCTLD or Webmaster tools. So if you haven't heard of those terms, CCTLD and GTLD. So CCTLD is CC country code, TLD, top level domain. For instance, .fr, .ee, .co.uk. GTLD is generic TLD, which is a top level domain that doesn't specify a specific country like a .com, for example. And from this, I would say the answer we've got is that the performance is the most important thing. So if you're not using a, a content distribution network and you've only got servers in different countries, then there's going to be an inescapable performance difference there. And performance does matter. So you need to have your website being served to by a server that's close to your user. The easiest way to do that is normally with a content distribution network, CDN, Cloudflare. That's a really cheap, fast, easy way to achieve that. Aside from that, 
it basically isn't that important because there's so many ways now for you to tell Google, whether it's through a country code, top level domain, whether it's through location markup or through Search Console. In Google Search Console, you can specify the country there and everyone should have Google Search Console if you're doing SEO. So there's lots of ways you can tell Google if there's a location intent to your site. And what John's saying here is if you're doing that, then you just you can you don't need to host your website in any specific geographic location. If there was the very odd scenario where um, the performance was equal, but you had a generic top level domain, you had no markup location, no search console location, no other way for Google to tell, then yes, it might be a very, very small ranking factor, but for all intents and purposes, I'd say no. The second and last question we're gonna answer on this episode is from Caleb Rule, and he says, I am curious off the top of my head if there is any discernible SEO benefit to UX improvements like using anchor text to allow people to jump to a section in a page. That's quite a broad question there, <laughs> if I'm honest, Caleb. So is it, if, if we look at it in two parts, I'll start with the, is there any discernible SEO benefit to UX improvements? I think I've probably covered that really well earlier in the podcast where we've talked about people trusting a website, comparing it to another website. Does it feel right? There are so many ways Google is trying to measure this user experience, how they feel about a site that I would say all of these combined is, is what's going to help you with your SEO. I mean, UX improvements should be done anyway because they improve user experience. The SEO benefit is going to be like a side win for you if you get it. Um, you should be doing them anyway. And it's always going to be quite hard to measure. And to qualify that, I would say that we've been told by Google, if you make improvements to your site, um, you know, whether it's significant speed improvements or whatever, it's usually going to take months before Google comes around and kind of rewards you for those changes. It's not like you speed your site up and two days later you're ranking well. They want to see these changes consistently over time and various ones as well have to kind of bed in with the link graph. So yes, they're worth doing. Yes, they'll help you with SEO whether they're going to be discernible and you're going to have to say, I did X and Y came out, very unlikely, no. In the specific case you've asked here, so using anchor text to allow people to jump to a section in a page. So for the listeners, if you don't know, that's when you've clicked on a link on a page and it jumps you down to a specific part of the page. And what I would say about this is those links work by having the hashtag in the URL, in the link URL, and... Google will basically ignore everything after a hashtag and a URL. So from a technical uh, point of view, it's essentially like you're just linking back to your own page, basically. So we're just going to fall back on PageRank here and how internal links work in that anchor text is great. It helps you it helps well, it helps users understand the content of the following page and it will help search engines do the same. So if it's helpful to your user, I would say do it. Yes, you're certainly, it's, it, there's certainly going to be some fringe benefit to linking 
to the same URL with varied anchor text, maybe to give search engines a better understanding of the questions that are answered on that page. Definitely, as we've talked about in this episode before, it might be worth investigating whether you can use schema to mark up the information as well. Um, but yes, it will help. Okay, that's all we've got time for in this episode. You will hear from me again on Monday, the 24th of June, 2019. If you do have any questions that you'd like to submit to the podcast yourself, please do so. You can tweet them to me at, at Kanda Agency. So that's C-A-N-D-O-U-R Agency. And I hope you have a great week.